You're listening to the British Baseball Podcast. Today's special guest on the British Baseball Podcast is a passionate writer, blogger, journalist and author. He's had work published by The Guardian, BBC Sports and has been featured by MLB.com, Fanside, Sabre and the British Baseball Federation. His first book was published in August of 2019 about his beloved Tranmere Rovers and his new book Conflict, The Yankees, The Red Sox and The War for My Heart has just been published too. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you Ryan Ferguson. Ryan, how are we doing? Yeah, not bad. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for joining us. Uh, had a really good read through the extracts that you sent across, some really interesting bits and pieces. Uh, how long have you been writing for? As long as I can remember, really. I think um, you know, it's one of my uh, real passions in life. Um, you know, it helps me in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, I've been a you know professional writer, journalist, as you say. Um, but I think the, you know, just the, the hobby of it more than anything, the, the, the passion, you know, it's something that's, that's helped me in all aspects of my life, really. Awesome. And in your eyes, what makes a great writer? Um, I think it's just honesty, really. Um, I think it's just being honest with yourself and, you know, honest with your opinions and your, um, you know, your experiences, really, I think. Uh, having the bravery to put put yourself out there a little bit to the whole world um, you know and I think you you have to have a thick skin in that respect especially in this day and age um, you know because I think it, with writing I think somebody's always going to sort of you know be offended or take a different stance to, to yourself you know it's a very opinionated world out there so I think you know honesty bravery um and I think just being prepared for, you know, a bit of backlash sometimes. I think that, you know, they're all good aspects of a writer. Um, and I think just, you know, just writing as well. I think that, that that's that's the main thing. It's it's not being too too critical of yourself and it's not being, you know, striving for perfection because, you know, you're never, never attain that really. Lovely. And as an author, have you ever received any bad advice from other authors? Um, I think, I think is you know i've had the criticism of my style certainly sometimes you know it can be quite wordy it can be quite quite dense in, in some respects um and i think it, a lot of people have, have said that it, you know it probably wasn't suited to you know traditional journalism um in that respect um probably more suited to sort of blogging and you know the fanzine culture you know in, in british football certainly um but i think it, you know those type of criticisms you, you take it with a pinch of salt because not everybody knows you know why you're writing or you know what what your story is what your 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 journey is and you know you might not be striving for those things um you know you might be getting sort of something different out of writing which is um you know can't be measured in sort of money or you know professional development um so I always sort of, you know, I take criticism on board, but I, I, I you know, I maintain that, you know, I, I write for, for personal reasons, first and foremost. Um, and that's quite important to me. Yeah. Do you say, would you say that you've got your own sort of writing style or is it similar to any other authors or journalists that are out there? Well, I think I was influenced a lot by, um, you know, the, the traditional American baseball writers. Um you know, for from an early age, the first books I ever read were baseball books for, for probably the first sort of from the age of probably 11 to 18. That was the only type of book I read. So I think a lot of the, you know, the, the old school sort of uh, newspaper journalists in, in America, there's a, there's a great tradition of, of sports writing uh, and baseball writing, certainly. Um, and I think, you know, reading, reading the work of, um, you know, columnists like Dan Shaughnessy of, of the Boston Globe and, you know, going back further, you know, to the, to the, you know, the, the likes of Roger Kahn and, you know, these, they had such a grand writing style, such a, you know, a, a use of hyperbole and, um, you know, exaggeration. And it, I think that a lot of my writing probably echoes you know, some of that sort of style, really. And I think it's just, um, 
you know, it's it's probably a nod towards how I discovered, you know, that baseball and you know how I started experimenting with with writing as well. Yeah, one thing I loved about uh, in your book is when you talked about how at a young age, when most like kids that are 10, 11 years old are start reading Harry Potter and comic books or even just like playing video games, you were on a on a on a train journey some fair distance to go to Waterstones to get a copy of The Road to Redemption by uh, Craig W. Thomas. So, how did you? How did you first like? I, I know we've read it in. I, I've read it in in your your extracts. But how did you first get into baseball books? Um, it was literally um, as a result of the Channel 5 show um, back in the day. I think, you know, a lot of British baseball fans of a certain generation, um, they look towards the Channel 5 show as their gateway drug, so to speak. Um, that was, for us, that was the first, you know, access that we had to, to North American sports and on free-to-air television. And I think... You know, the guys on there were always suggesting different titles, different books to, you know, chase down and try and get hold of. Because it was quite difficult back then to, to, to even get hold of a baseball book in Britain. Um, and I think that, you know, Roads to Redemption, that was uh, by a British author, um, Craig W. Thomas. So I think he came on the show at one point and he was interviewed by the guys. And, you know, I just remember thinking, right, I've finally got a, a title to chase down and I can, you know, I can go and try and, you know, get get, get a copy of this. And it just, it, it led to just, you know, a whole stream of, of books, really. I've probably got about two or 300 books now, uh, baseball books. I've always got one on the go. Um, and I think more than any other sport, it, it lends itself really well to, to, you know, great writing. And I think that that's... Uh, you know, that that continues every year. There's there's more new titles coming out and there's, you know, different sort of types of baseball book. And I think it's, uh, you know, a whole industry has been, been built around that, really. Yeah. You got any favourites? Yeah, it's it's a difficult one. I think, um, as I say, there's so many. You've got the classics like Moneyball and, um, you know, The Boys of Summer and some of the more well-known, you know, books like Ball Four. Um but I think that there's some sort of lesser-known books that I've, I've reread so many times. So Faithful by Stephen King, who is, you know, obviously one of the most famous uh, writers of all time, really. But he he done sort of a diary um, of the 2004 Red Sox season, um, and that was just brilliant. That was probably the first book I could never put down. Um, and it's it's one that just never loses its luster, really, no matter how many times you, you you pick it back up. And I think, you know, there's there's some other books like that. I think the you know biographies certainly of like the, the great players like Babe Ruth or Joe DiMaggio, whoever it may be. You know, the, some of the the quality that's that's produced in terms of biography as well in, in baseball is, um, you know, it's it's stunning. Really, there's some real masterpieces out there, and you know, I highly recommend those to, to people. So have you ever been uh, moved emotionally by any of these books? Yeah, I think, you know, you always take something from a book, no matter what book it is. I think, you know, if it's good or bad. And I think um, you know, for me and, and, and baseball books, the, the major thing that, that I always took away from it was that that voice, really, that, that self-discovery of, um, you know, learning new words and building your vocabulary up and stuff like that so i think it's always a journey um certainly when you you're reading about baseball from from britain um i think it it moves you to, to another time and another place and sometimes it helps you escape your surroundings which might not be ideal you know and it's uh it's that bit of escapism that i think we all need from time to time mm, yeah indeed um so when you first started to friend, did you like for like a school paper or did you do anything for like colleges? How, when, when did you start to pick up speed with your, your own li- literature? Um, I think I'd done a lot of um, blogging, probably um, starting around 2008, um, 2009. I remember, you know, I just used to publish blogs. I used to just even, I'd even just write in Word documents and not even publish things, you know, I just, um, for me, it was just a case of uh, enjoying, enjoying the art, really, and I think, um, you know, one of my school teachers, Mr. Robinson, was a big sort of, um, 
you know, he, was a, he was a big inspiration for me and a big mentor in that respect. Because, um, you know, I was I brought up on a, a council estate in Wirral. Um, and, you know, the, the school wasn't, you know, wasn't the best. And I, I probably could have went down, you know, one or two tracks really and, you know, got in with the wrong crowd or whatever yeah. it may be. And I think, you know, that that teacher was, you know, that he revealed the you know, the power of, of writing to me really and encouraged me to, to, to follow that path. And, you know, it wasn't always the coolest thing in the playground, you know, to, to, to be a writer and reading and, um, sometimes you have to overcome that. And, uh, I think, you know, it, it's, it's, it's always been a, I'm, I'm always reminded of, of, of that influence of, you know, my, my English teachers. And, um, you know, I remember I went back after I published my first book, I managed to go back to the, to the school and give a speech on, on an awards evening and stuff like that. So that was, that was pleasing to give something back, back to those guys as well. That's amazing. So what advice did you give to those? those kids in the audience or any young writers well i think it's just all about perseverance really i think um you know i think a lot of people sometimes you know if you say you want to be a writer um you know, that's one thing but actually writing is quite another thing so i think if you want to be a writer the thing is just to sit there in the chair and just literally start typing um you know, it might not be the best at first, you know, it probably won't be. Um, even established writers have bad days, you know, they have, they have periods where they, you know, they can't create stuff, you know, writer's block, whatever you know, they may struggle with. And I think just making sure you, you try and get in a routine of, of, you know, writing as regularly as possible. Um, I think naturally, I think you, you, your style and your, your confidence grows with, with repetition. Um, and I think reading as well, reading helps massively in, in honing your, your, your voice and, and your, your opinions. And it gives you sort of ammunition to, to experiment in, in your own work. Um, so I just, I just think, you know, just trying and, you know, trying different things. Um, you know, don't turn down any opportunities to, to blog or guest blog or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and just try everything to get your name out there, really. Yeah. Great advice. Uh, so if you could give any advice to younger self now, what would you say? I think probably just not to care so much about other people's opinions, um, really. I think um, one of the themes in the book is how, you know, I for a long time felt um, quite isolated and alienated as a, um, a North American sports fan in, in the UK, certainly. Um, and I think that it wasn't, like I say, it wasn't really cool to, to, to like baseball. Nobody had really heard of it. It wasn't especially popular. Um, and it was always seen as a bit weird, really, <laughs> if I'm honest, um, around where I, where I grew up. Um, but I think, you know, staying true to yourself and not being afraid to just live your, your own truth, I think it's, it's huge. And I think it's something that comes with um, maturity, really, over time. Um, I think we grow into who we are and I think we become less sort of inclined to, you know, pander to other people's opinions and, and change ourselves to conform. Um, so I think that's, that's a big thing is just uh, be yourself and you know, don't, uh, don't worry too much about uh, other people's opinions. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. You mentioned, oh, we mentioned at the start of the show that you've done some work for the British Baseball Federation. How did that start? I think I was about 18 in sort of 2012, it would have been. Um, and I always knew that I wanted to be a baseball writer. Um, I remember sort of at school, we'd, we'd do essays about what um, future job we wanted. And mine was always the most, you know, absurd, really. You know, I wanted to be a professional baseball writer based in in Bromber, in Wirral, um, it wasn't the, the most uh, common sort of obsession. Um, but I just, I wanted to imitate those those heroes of, like I say, of the newspaper tradition, especially. Um, and I just, I tried everything to, to get voluntary opportunities, to you know, just cut my teeth, really, anywhere that I could, get my name out there. And I think that sort of led me to the, uh, the British Baseball Federation, which... 
I think I covered the AA North division um, in 2012. So uh, I think they, they paid me about £50 for the for the whole season and I, I was made up with that. I just didn't know that you could make money from writing. <laughs> I was just made up. Um, and uh, it was a it was a baptism baptism of fire in some respects covering you know covering the game as a quite a raw teenager um you know, i remember i had to ring up all of the team managers each sunday night after their their games um and try and get get the results and the match reports and you know it could be difficult stitching all that information together and you know if you missed calls or you know, guys didn't pick up it was uh you know, it was quite difficult, but it was always entertaining, and I think it, it gave me a good grounding for for the rest of my sort of writing career, really. Yeah, who are some of the your favourite people to speak to? You say you're speaking to the managers. Yeah, definitely. So I think that you know that there was a lot of teams that are covered. Um, obviously, the the stick out. So I think the the Bolton Robots of Doom. So I think they were one of the the, the best names in in sports history. Really, um, <laughs> I think um, you know it was always fun talking to those guys. And you know, closer to home, you know, the Liverpool Trojans guys. They've always been you know really supportive of my work. Um, yeah. You know, they've got a great tradition there as well. Um, yeah, they have. Yeah. So it was just, yeah, it was just interesting to 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 see these guys who who dedicated so much time to such a um, you know such a nuanced game and such a, a game that didn't really get much attention. Um, a lot of people wouldn't even know that up and down the country every weekend there was baseball going on. Um, it sort of just happened in the you know, anonymously almost, and it was it was a great thrill to sort of um, you know bring that to the mainstream a little bit, and you know shed some light on on those stories really. Yeah, definitely. Did you get to see any of the games played live? Um, I went to a couple of uh, Liverpool Trojan games, um, and I, I trained with those guys for a bit as well. Uh, I think I mentioned that in the book. Um, obviously, I moved to Liverpool um, recently. And uh, I went along to, for a few training sessions just for um, you know, just a bit of fun, really, a bit of trying to keep fit. But I, I wasn't very good, to, to say the least. So it just sort of petered out. But uh, I think I'll stick to the writing. <laughs> so you're not going to uh, come out of retirement then? Well, I might do. I might do. I might uh, make a make a comeback, like one of the movies. Um, <laughs> make a, Get myself in training for uh, spring training. I think sure. Get the arm, get the arm yeah. going. I'm sure they're welcome. I, I know a few of the people from the show, and they are, like you said, there's great tradition, great sell. They've got some brilliant people that are there. Same to be said across a lot of the, the clubs I've spoken to, top people involved. I'm sure yeah. if you went down there, they'd, they'd, they'd love to have you on board. Um, so let's talk about your book um, and your baseball journey. One of the questions that I ask a lot of people is, um, what does baseball mean to you? And from reading the extracts in your book, I think it's a real question to ask you as well. Baseball to me, um, it's been a really important part of my life. Um, I think, you know, I'm quite introverted. I've always been quite introverted um, and quite quite a shy person as well for, for a lot of time. I've, I've struggled with, with anxiety, um, and different sort of mental health conditions as well. And I think baseball has always been, um, you know, it's been a go-to sort of outlet for me. Um, it's been like my private sort of obsession really. And I think whilst a lot of people, you know, are obsessed with football in this country or, um, you know, rugby, you know, more popular sports, you know, and I, I love those sports as well. Don't get me wrong. But I think baseball was my, my equivalent of, you know, reading a good book in terms of it just it was my passport to something else something quite unique that nobody else was was really into um and it was sort of a place where i was allowed to be free and um you know free to develop my own interest my own way of following the game without having to conform to you know whether it be the aggression of football fandom or the 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 tribal nature of, of, of sport in Britain a lot of the time. Um, I think that, that baseball is is a sport that matches our life. You know, it's a great metaphor for life in, in many ways. Um, 
you know, the fact that they play so many games day in day out and you know the, the the triumphs and tribulations that you go through following a team i think it's uh it's something that's it's it's like a companion more than a, more than a sport in some respects and it's it's great if you if you feel sort of alienated or you feel slightly um you know out of place really with, with mainstream society i think it, it baseball's a place where it's very welcoming to, to a broad church of people um whereas some of the sports may be quite uh, insular in, in their outlook sometimes. Uh, and that's something I've always enjoyed. And it, it, there's a timeless nature to the game where you can, you can dip in and out without too much um, you know, commitment, really. And I think that, that that's lends itself well to, to enjoyment rather than uh, obsession. Yeah. We talked before about mental health. Do you find that writing helps with your mental health situations or did writing the, this particular book help you with, with any sort of situations? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I've, I've wrote quite extensively about my mental health journey. Um, so I struggle with depression, um, generalized anxiety disorder and OCD as well. Um, so it's, it's quite a, you know, it's quite a difficult mix of, of, of uh, disorders really to, to, to deal with on a, on a daily basis. Um, but I find that, that, that writing has always been my kind of therapy. Um, I know that, you know, certain more conventional forms of therapy t- tend to work for people, but I've, I've, I've tried those. And I think we all find our own, um, our own ways of dealing with, with, with life sometimes. I think, um, you know, my, my way of dealing with, with problems is to articulate them and try and get them down on paper and try and work through and send some, you know, logic, logic in what, what I'm feeling, what I'm, what I'm experiencing at any given time. And I think, you know, the, the, the outlet of, of writing a book is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's brilliant really. You know, I, I would get up writing this book. I'd get up at six in the morning before work and, you know, just those couple of hours, uh, um, writing that, you know, five, 500 words, a thousand words a day, something like that. You know, th- those couple of hours were, were crucial in, in setting me up for a good day. Um, and, uh, it was just, you know, some kind of, of calm in the, in the sort of, you know, confusing whirlwind of life sometimes. And it's, it's, it's that retreat that we, we all need in, in various forms. And, you know, I think it's, uh, it's one of the healthiest ways you can certainly divert your, your attention anyway. Um, and, you know, I've found great, great relief in writing. And I, I definitely recommend it to, to people, whether it be, you know, even just keeping a journal or writing down your thoughts at the end of a day or things you're grateful for, even that's sometimes useful. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to publish a book. You don't have to, you know, start a blog. It can just be for your own personal sort of sanity really. Um, but something that I'd definitely recommend to, to anyone struggling with, you know, mental ill health or, you know, a difficult time in the life. Yeah. Would you write, on any day or did you find that you, you just want to write when you were, you were feeling at your best or did you just write regardless of, of how the day had been? Well, it, it, it's difficult really because um, I do struggle with, with uh, routines and schedules sometimes. Um, as I say, with, with OCD, um, I think the, the classic connotation of OCD is that um, people will sort of, turn the light switch off 10 times before they go to bed or they'll have all the labels perfectly sort of aligned in the cupboard but there's another side to OCD that doesn't really get as much exposure in terms of the the obsessive thoughts and the um the the it's like a surplus of of ideas and, and your mind constantly wearing with ideas and I think um I can quickly fall into fall down a rabbit hole with with any project or idea or plan so it can quickly become you know very sort of overpowering and it can take over my whole life so I have to be very careful and set boundaries with with anything really so um it's the same with with the writing um 
you know, the, there are days where you, you really don't feel like it or you can't fit it into to a busy schedule. Um, you know, life goes on and sometimes you don't find that time. And I think the key thing is not, not to beat yourself up. And I think um, we see now on, on social media, there's so much pressure to, to produce and, um, you know, constantly, you know, grind things out and produces such a high volume all the time and I think sometimes we just need to take a step back and just realize that you know if, if I don't manage to, to write today then you know that, that's fine let's just uh, call it a day and try again tomorrow you know it's um, you know that that's a that's a process that we all have to learn I think especially if, if you struggle with OCD um, but I think uh, I'm gradually getting better at that certainly yeah that's interesting you should say that because I think when I started off in my actual proper job in, in analytics and becoming a parent, like I said, I'm out of thoughts, but I'm out of control. Like I I often get lost in my own train of thought and I can sit there thinking I've spoken, but I've not. I've just been quiet because I've just played out scenarios and it, it drives me mad because I'm my own worst enemy. I, I can't seem to, to let go. So I've... I've, I've been speaking to people to try and get help about that and also I found meditation and other things have helped me with it too but yeah it's probably nothing like what what you've gone through but what you said there I can I, I completely get it completely get it it it, it can be a, a scary path sometimes um so let's go back to to your book um it's about your love of the Red Sox and how you became a Yankees fan, which might sound very strange to most, because if it was football in this country, if you were an Arsenal fan and started supporting Spurs, or if you're Manchester United and started Man City, or as what happened with yourself, it would be a, a Liverpooly sort of situation, Liverpool and Everton, you probably wouldn't be allowed back in your own home. And um, <laughs> so, how how did you become a, a Red Sox fan to start with? Was it the the, uh, the books um, it was literally um the channel five um so it literally starts with um football uh, as most things do in britain um <laughs> i think i used to watch the the old channel five sports so they had a lot of different um sports leagues back in the day so they had um dutch football argentinian football and i used to stay awake and watch you know all of those games um we couldn't afford the premium subscriptions to like Sky Sports and stuff like that. So I just took every advantage to um, watch any football I could find, really. And, you know, it, it meant staying awake after midnight then, so be it. Um, even as like a 10, 11-year-old, I'd stay awake and watch like Boca Juniors games. And it's just like so random, but, uh, you know, I loved it. And I think um, one day I was probably waiting for a Dutch, Dutch game to come on, on five, and, you know, one night and... It just never materialized because there was a, a baseball documentary on in 2004 it was um it, the documentary was about the the red sox obviously winning the world series that year um ending their sort of drought the championship drought of 86 years um and at first i was quite annoyed like i was just waiting for the footy and you know, they, they had this this random sport on i didn't know anything about it i'd never heard of any of the teams um but, you know, I just got pulled in by by this film that was on and it, the storylines and, um, you know, the, the, the characters that, that were in, the, you know, playing for this team that had such loyal fans um, despite never winning. Um, and it was, uh, you know, I, I sort of associated with the Red Sox from there, really. Um, and like you say, the, the books sort of, you know, turbocharged that, that passion, you know, read a lot of uh, the Boston sort of newspaper guys a lot of the, the the red sox books you know 2004 especially um and then obviously the red sox won the world series in 2007 which was you know probably the first sporting success that i ever sort of felt really as a, as a Tramia rovers fan um we don't tend to experience success very often um so that that was a brilliant uh, you know brilliant era really um and then things got a bit complicated <laughs> Yeah, that's an understatement. Uh, the book was really interesting about how you just described how um, how the turn of events came from you falling out of love. Because the one thing that I noticed is 
that throughout your your youth all the way through adolescence as well you just invested so much time and effort and energy and yourself into boston i mean what what went wrong to to sort of make you flip codes so literally again it was uh football and i mentioned uh Tramia rovers so if if uh listeners aren't familiar with Tramia, which you know you probably aren't let's face it um uh, basically Tramia is a club from Birkenhead which is uh 10 minutes through the Mersey tunnel from Liverpool um and Tramia is a lower division club far away from the the Premier League sort of glitz and glamour um and you know I sort of grew up as a you know in a long tradition of Tramia fans um and there's not many of us so you know we could probably count them all to be fair um but I um you know it was it's something that's very special to me it's my you know it's my identity from from birth it's my hometown it's my you know my values my morals it's you know going the game with my dad my brothers um you know it's something very special it's very you know centered it's my world view uh, really and part of being a Tramia fan and the, the the tribal nature of football um as we've mentioned is you know it's it's hating liverpool essentially um liverpool fc so you know there's a direct link between the you know the growth and success of liverpool and the the demise and um you know the the subjugation of tramia really and i think over time you know in school i was the only tramia fan and you know, this is Wirral is a is a place that's got a population of three hundred and thirty thousand people, and you would therefore think that Tramia Rovers would have sort of a massive fan base and you know, capable of sustaining the Premier League. But the the problem is that only five six thousand people go to the games because a lot of people go and support Liverpool and Everton just for the for the glory and for the you know that that association with with Premier League football. Um, and that always sort of rankled with me. Um, and, you know, I got into a lot of scraps at school over it, certainly. Um, you know, I was always sort of teasing people whenever Liverpool lost. And, you know, I'd get it in the neck whenever Tramia inevitably got relegated. Um, uh, but uh, <laughs> basically, in 2010, um, my world was sort of, you know, rocked, essentially, when the Red Sox owners, so John Henry and Tom Werner, um they purchased liverpool fc um and you know for me that was so difficult to to reconcile in my own head it was like i think i was 16 at the time so it was probably quite an immature sort of period in my life but um i thought that you know if i bought a red sox hat or cap or you know just even rooted for them or wish them success i think you know, I thought that, you know, that that money, that that goodwill would sort of trickle through to, to Liverpool and it would it would essentially sort of undermine my whole identity really by making Liverpool this great force. And I think, you know, that was too much for me to, to, to bear in some respects. And, you know, my my Red Sox fandom just uh yeah, it was curtailed pretty pretty quickly really. Um and it was a decision that you know, I think I think baseball became my favourite sport, but the, the allegiance to Tramia belonged to, you know, even a higher echelon. Really, that was sort of the overriding force in my life, um, and that sort of led me to to act. Really, yeah. So it was was it a case of going straight to the Yankees as revenge? So like, if if your girlfriend had cheated on you, try and go out with a sister, sort of thing. <laughs> or did, did you experiment with other clubs before settling on the Yankees? No, I did. Uh, I wandered through the through the wilderness for a few years, certainly. Um, you know, I became more of you know for a while. I, I thought that you know I conflated the loss of sort of the Red Sox with the loss of my own sort of interest in baseball generally for a while. Um, but then, you know, I gradually started watching games. You know, I just I enjoyed different teams, as I mentioned in the book. You know, I, you know, I, I dip in and out of, of different teams. 
you know, whether you'd be drawn in by, you know, a particular player or, um, you know, a ballpark or a uniform. Um, and it was, uh, it was, it, it was a fun time in some respects, um, you know, to, to, to actually delve, delve into some of these clubs and get to know them and how they worked and what made them tick. But I think, um, you know, after a while, once I started writing about the, the game professionally, um, you know, the, the, it became apparent pretty quick that I couldn't really have allegiances. You know, I had to be quite objective and obviously report on the game in in a fair manner. And, you know, my, my interest in, in rooting for any particular team sort of, of waned for a bit um, until I had, uh, you know, a great experience with, with the Yankees, which sort of kicked off that whole sort of episode. Yeah, Joe, tell us about that because I, I thought it was uh, really cool actually. As as someone that I, I'm I'm not a Yankees fan. It to to the point where I actually took the mick out of one of my guests for being a Yankees fan with a parental advisory warning, Chris, I'm looking at you. Uh if he runs the the, the the Empire Strikes Back podcast, which is the UK's Yankees um podcast there. Um so yeah, it, it is a really cool story. Do you want to share it? Yeah, definitely. So when I was a, a baseball journalist, basically I was researching for an article um, in 2013. So um, the Yankees um, entered a partnership with Manchester City um, and they partnered to form a MLS franchise. So New York City FC, um, City owns 80%, the Yankees own 20% and the team plays in Yankee Stadium. Um and, you know, I was really looking to just investigate this meant for British baseball and the community here. And, you know, I was keen to campaign for some kind of mutuality in the relationship. Um, you know, if they were forming a, a football club in New York, I thought, well, why can't they form a you know a baseball club uh, in England? And why can't we, we spread the game here with, you know, uh, workshops or training days, whatever it may be. So, you know, I started researching this article and I reached out to the Yankees just for um, hoping to get a, a quote from them or some insight into what they were trying to get out of the collaboration. Um, I wasn't expecting much of a reply, really. Um, but I actually got a response from um, Christina Campana, who was uh, part of the guest relations team at the Yankees. Um and she said that essentially, you know, she she would pass on my uh, query to the different teams and try and chase that up for me. But she also said um, that my sort of email had caused quite a stir in the in the team's offices. Um, and she said that she the Yankees wanted to basically um, send me sort of a, a fan package. Um, which, as a journalist, I was I was immediately sort of. You know, it was a red flag because I, I, I didn't I didn't want those allegiances um, if I could help it. But intrigue sort of won out in the end, and I, I was um, you know I think one of the big things as a as a British fan of North American sports is um, how we have to manufacture sort of connections to the teams that exist so far away. Really, um, you know, we don't always have sort of a family tradition to follow or, you know, there's, there's not a local club to go and, you know, watch. So when one of the, you know, major league teams comes forward and tries to establish a bond with you, no matter how sort of, you know, vague or you know, PR, how it might be a PR spin or whatever, um, you know, it was, it was intriguing. So, you know, the Yankees ended up sending across a, a parcel with, you know, a cap, a jersey, um, you know, the full works really. And, you know, there was like a personalized letter in there on, on Yankees letterhead and it just, it really pulled me in. And, um, you know, I never really looked back. I knew I was in trouble at that point. Um, and then I started obviously watching, you know, more Yankees games, uh, watching Derek Jeter's final season, which was brilliant. Um, and from there really, it's, uh, you know, it's it's just developed naturally, obviously, and then watching the Yankees in London in 2019 was was the the, the capper really, and that that was just such a brilliant experience. Yeah, did you go down for both games? 
Yeah, I did. It was uh, it was great. I managed to get to the workout day as well on the Friday, which was yeah. fantastic. Um, you know, and just you know, I've never actually been to uh, America uh, even to this day, which is uh, it's quite bizarre, really, when you think about it. Um, so to finally see, you know, the the, the first game in London was um, you know it was such a special experience. Cool. What are your favourite memories from from that weekend? I think um, I, I managed to catch a foul ball, um, and I got it signed by Mark Tashira, who was um, you know, was a great Yankees player. Um, he was doing um, sort of TV duties on the side of the of the field, and um, I managed to nab him as he was coming off, and he, he signed the ball for me. So that was like my first signed ball. It's a, you know, always a proud moment, and I think you know there's just loads of little you know, vignettes from the weekend. So when the anthems were playing in the stadium was full, you know, such an emotional moment for everyone who had campaigned for years to see these games. Um, you know, that was special. And I think just seeing the interaction between, um, you know, the Yankees and uh, the London Mets. So they, they did a great sort of outreach day there, donated a load of equipment. Um, you know, it was, it was special to see that the bond that, that baseball players have with fans and the connection between, um, you know, fans are so so much closer to, to the field and, you know, you get great access for, for autographs or whatever it may be. Whereas, you know, in football here, increasingly, you, you're shepherded in and out of the ground as, as quickly as possible a lot of the time. And I think, you know, it was a whole different experience. It was a lot more laid back. It was a, it was more of a day out and it was, uh, it was a great vibe there and um you know i hope that we manage to get games back in the future yeah hopefully i didn't manage to get down there i actually went to the manchester baseball club to to watch it down there with with a little and we had a we had a great time great time and it's it's probably because of that moment that i'm i'm where i am today um i've mentioned a few times on the podcast that just the 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 characters down there the friendliness the the welcoming vibe and just the acceptance brilliant people love them miss them a lot as well hopefully we can get training back soon and we can all shout at each other from across the field that's um it's looking a bit of a bit of a while off um what do you think makes your book so unique compared to the baseball books i think definitely the the perspective that, that i write from so obviously there's um and there's not many British baseball writers uh, who, are, who are published, um, you know, and I think even within Britain, I think my my voice is quite unique. So, you know, it's not just Britain. It's it's like the, the northern sort of council estate, um, you know, look, look at things. Uh, it's not like even going to London for me was was a. You know, it was a experience. You know, I've been a few times watching watching Tramia games, but you know, you feel like you're in a foreign country sometimes. Even in London, it's such a you know a bustling, you know, cosmopolitan place. And I think that the whole weekend was um, you know so special in in that regard. So I think definitely you know that the perspective from from which I write is 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 unique. And I think the the way that the book does a lot of different things. So it's it's part memoir, it's part history. Um, and it's part sort of fly on the wall um, of life as a baseball fan in Britain. Um, so I think it's 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 quite ambitious in, in what it tries to achieve, and uh, you know I'm 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 proud of the outcome really. Lovely. Which bits of the book did you enjoy revisiting when you're writing it? Um, I actually so years ago in sort of 2008, I think I mentioned I used to sort of type into Word documents and. Uh, you know, I, I had a, a vision when I was probably 13, 14 to, to write a baseball book. Um, and I, I attempted, I kept sort of a diary of the, of the Red Sox season in 2008. And, you know, my, my idea at the time was to try and get, the, get it published, you know, which was looking back, it's sort of so naive, but it was, um, it was a, a, an important step in my development, writing every day and finding my voice and, 
you know, and I, I actually enjoyed reading that manuscript again, just to jog my memory. And, you know, I managed to include a few extracts from that actual diary, which is pretty special for me um, to finally, you know, get that, that those published um, as part of this wider project. So definitely, you know, looking back the, the 2000 and, sort of six seven eight seasons you know that that's when my passion was probably at its peak you know it was uh such a such a great time and you know such a different different era really in many respects so so looking back was 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 brilliant yeah great stuff so another question for you who plays you in the movie adaptation of your book <laughs> I think I think we'd all like to say uh, Brad Pitt, wouldn't we? Or you know uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, maybe. Um, I think uh, I think I'd probably go with someone like you know, Matt Damon or someone like that. You know, a, a proper baseball fan, and I'd love to see uh, yeah, Matt Damon with a Yankees cap on as well. Oh, do you think uh, he'd do? Or do you think he'd get a body double in? <laughs> he definitely wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it'd be brilliant. Yeah. So what's next in the pipeline? Um, you know, I'm just just enjoying writing, really. Um, I think the the baseball season coming up, it's um, it gives me a chance to to write about uh, you know the Yankees in the shortened season. You know, it's a it's going to be a season like any other, really. I've got um, you know, I've got my own little Yankees blog, which is Pinstripe Galaxy, where you know I hope to sort of cover the team in. You know, as, as as much detail as possible, really. Um, so I'm I'm just looking forward to, to to sharing those experiences and you know meeting new people, meeting uh, new Yankees fans, and just continuing to to enjoy the game, really. Um, not taking things too seriously. Um, in terms of the writing, um, you know, I'll probably look to probably start my third book soon, which is uh, quite exciting. Probably gonna try and do something around mental health um which is which is uh something that I'm, I'm really keen to do yeah yeah and i think when you read the book you'll find out exactly um how big a role it's played in your life and how important it is to you and um, where can we find the book so it's available on amazon now in paperback and ebook formats um just search ryan ferguson on amazon or conflict um Alternatively, you might be able to get it easier on my website, which is ryanferguson.co.uk, um, and on Twitter as well, which is ryanfergusonhq. Uh, you'll find all the links there. Um, so if you if you feel like checking that out, that'd be uh, that'd be brilliant. Yeah, I'll make sure I put the links within the show notes too. And as we draw to a close, it's tradition for me to leave the last words to the guests. So if there's any parting advice, any shout outs, or anything you want to touch on before we go. No, I just think, um, you know, the, the British baseball community, I think I just want to say a big thank you really to to all the guys who have um, supported me over the years. So, you know, there's so many unsung heroes that, that make up the British baseball community and a, a lot of people that that do a lot of good work without much recognition and certainly without any, you know, financial rewards. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, like, Guys like Josh Chetwin, um, Johnny Gould, Dave Langell back in the day, um, Eric Jansen. Um, you know, the, even just nowadays that the bloggers, the podcasters, you know, the, the the guys who just continue, you know, the the, the fire really, and they, they pass the torch from one generation to the next. And I think, um, you know, I think sometimes it it can be difficult because it seems like you're not getting much traction or, you know, the, the, the community is quite small, but it's growing all the time. And I think if people knew the, the, the impact that they have, um, certainly sort of behind closed doors, um, you know, it's, it's a real inspiration. So I think the key thing is just to, to, to keep on pressing home that momentum and keep building, building that community, um, and supporting one another, really. I think, uh, there's great things ahead for British baseball and um, you know, I can't wait to be part of it. Yeah, definitely. Oh, you mentioned as well then about Josh. Do you, you wrote, uh, did you have some contact with Josh? Did he give you some advice? Yeah, definitely. Um, so Josh has always been a, a, a huge supporter of, of my work over the years. So he's, um, he's the guy who basically taught me 
much of what I know about baseball, you know, through the show, just the, the, the level of knowledge he has about the game is just, uh, it's, it's unprecedented. I think on, on either side of the Atlantic, it's just like his knowledge is unbelievable. And I think, um, you know, I managed to, you know, get some advice from Josh over, over a number of years. And in 2013, we shared the British baseball writing award, which was like, um, like a writing competition. So, um, Josh and I basically shared the prize, which was a huge moment for me. Um, you know, managed to get published by Sabre off the back of that, which was uh, fantastic. So, yeah, Josh has always uh, played a huge part in my my career. I've got to meet him in London for the first time. Um, you know, and and being able to send a copy of the book to him was, uh, you know, it was it was brilliant for me to give something back. Um, so, yeah, can't thank him enough, really. Yeah, he's a top guy. I've had a few interactions with him on social medias, and uh, is is a absolute legend of the game and a proper gent yeah a lot of time for definitely him. definitely yeah yeah well thank you very much for your time ryan really appreciate it um and good luck with your book uh, any tours that you're going to be doing um no it's quite difficult isn't it with the uh the pandemic at the moment i think uh you know trying to get on a few podcasts here and there you know guys have been really welcoming which is brilliant you know in the in the british baseball community um I appreciate this opportunity as well to, to come on. So it's, uh, it's no fantastic. You know, I've been a, a loyal listener, so it's, uh, it's great to, um, you know, it's great to finally get on. And, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's just see, see how far we can take things really with the book. Yeah. Thanks dude. Well, I wish you all the best of luck. Keep in touch and let us know how you get on. And, uh, I'm sure when Bolton and Tranmere have their top of the table clash in division two, when it, when it all kicks off again, we'll have a little bit of, banter back and forth absolutely yeah that's it can't wait you know it all right ryan take care have a lovely evening and i'll see you soon thanks a lot take care all right and there goes ryan thank you again for your time ryan i hope you have a successful book tour and all the best luck in the future if you want to support ryan and have a look at his book i hope i didn't give too much away his book can be found on amazon and the link is in the show notes if you want to write in with some ideas of stories, it could be made up, it could be personal, it could be about your club, it could be a bit of journalism. Or if you have a, a child and you want them to, to send some stuff in, please feel free to do so. I'll read it out on the show if you want me to do so. Or if you want me to leave links in the website when it is available, I can do that too. The email address is BritishBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. And that's all from me for this week. Take care of yourselves. Look after each other. Baseball looks like it's on the horizon. Stay safe, though, and I'll see you all soon. Take care. Ta-ra.